Hi, and thanks for listening to the Funnel Side Chats podcast. This series features Nadim Hossein, the founder and CEO of BrightFunnel, in conversation with marketing thought leaders. Subscribe and tune in to hear what the future of B2B marketing looks like from different perspectives and get an up-close and personal look into some of today's most innovative and creative minds. We would love for you to tweet along with us. You can find us on Twitter, at BrightFunnel and at Nadim Hossein. So without further ado, I'll kick it over to Nadim. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Funnel Side Chats. Today, I have Scott Brinker, who, uh, for anyone in MarTech, needs no introduction. But uh, Scott, why don't you say a few words to introduce yourself? Great. Uh, glad to be here with you, Nadim. Uh, so let's see. I'm the uh, editor of the Chief MarTech blog, uh, program chair of the MarTech conference, and I'm the co-founder and CTO of an interactive software company for marketers, Ion Interactive. Wonderful. And uh, Scott, what was your first job? I'd love to know a little bit about your history. Uh, what was your first job and how did you end up here? Wow, I guess technically my first job was like bagging groceries, uh, which actually, now that I think about it, has uh, some relation to, uh, yeah, getting all these uh, IT uh, pieces to fit together the right way in marketing. Um, let's see, actually, so my first uh, um, Hmm. Uh, professional job, I guess would be the way to say it, uh, is I was actually involved uh, in the early days with uh, creating a bullet board system software company. So this was right before the web took off in the early 90s. Uh, this was a, uh, yeah, you know, dial-up modems, uh, America Online, uh, Prodigy, things like that. If any of your listeners uh, yeah, remember that far back. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we built a little software company that uh, – provided bulletin board system software to about 20,000 businesses worldwide. It was fun. Yeah, I, I do remember the, the, the 90s, uh, barely, but so you were in the early <laughs> <Barely>. era. <laughs> <laughs> I remember there were lots of CDs that were being mailed around by AOL. That's, that's my lasting memory. Uh, I, I came out of the, I joined the workforce right at the end of the, of the glory days. My first job was in 98. So I got a, a little bit of a peak, uh, into the glory days, but I didn't come out to the Bay Area until 2000, so I saw the tail end of it. But amazing times, I think. Uh, lots of lots of CDs certainly. So, and then what? Like, why are you in? You, you know, why are you writing the Martech blog, for example? What brought you into that field? Since that's how most of us know you. Yeah. So, um, in the late. Uh, 90s, the early 2000s, uh, got involved in running the technology team for a web development shop. Uh, and so we would build out websites for fairly large companies uh, like Siemens, uh, Citrix. We built all of their uh, web infrastructure. Um, and the way those engagements would work is it was almost always the marketing team that would hire our company to say, okay, build us the website or, you know, recreate our website or extend it in some way. Uh, and that was fine. Marketing would have its vision of all the things it wanted that site to do. Uh, and then it became my job <laughs> to actually go down the hall or to the next building over uh, to sit down and have a conversation with the company's IT team that marketing did not directly talk with about this stuff, you know, to say, okay, well, let's figure out how, how to actually make this happen, uh, you know, in your environment. Um, 
you know, it's fascinating, you know, jumping back and forth, acting as a kind of a diplomat uh, between those two worlds. So just, yeah, in the early 2000s, uh, right? I mean, these these were on completely opposite ends of the spectrum of the way they thought about things, the language they used, uh, sort of the incentive structures for what they were trying to do. Um, so worlds apart, but then at the same time, if you were looking for what they were actually needed to accomplish in the business, it was so clear uh, that they were going to have to be married. They were going to have to be tightly integrated together. Uh, and so that experience was what really triggered me writing, starting the Chief Martech blog of, yeah, this, this, these, these hybrids who jump back and forth between those two worlds. It was very unusual then, uh, not so unusual now. It's sort of a, the way we live now. Yeah, it's, it's such a fascinating trend. What, what I have observed it as is the rise of marketing operations. Do you, do you agree with that? Is that... Um, is the marketing technologist typically the marketing operations or are you also seeing it elsewhere in an organization? I think it's merging into marketing operations. It's, it's kind of interesting that marketing operations has, at least for larger companies, like a very long history. Like it was around in the 80s and the 90s for, you know, basically really unpleasant job, <laughs> you know, mostly just dealing with, you know, very back-end data stuff of let's keep track of all the SKUs and what promotions are available for which SKUs and which markets and let's crunch these numbers to get everyone their quarterly reports. Um, you know, it was not a glorious uh, role. Uh, but obviously, right, yeah, I mean, in the past five years in particular, that just changed dramatically. And I think you're absolutely right. It's because this this marketing technology infrastructure is now so essential to marketing success. Um, and having that under the guise of, you know, the marketing operations team is, I think, a very logical placement for most companies. And, you know, what I see is I spend all my time in B2B and what you're describing, I think, is even more pronounced in B2B because the B2B companies didn't have as much of that legacy operations. It, it seems to me, and I'm curious what you think, really with the rise of marketing automation and email marketing uh, in the last five, 10 years, have B2B companies developed any kind of marketing operations? And the pattern I'm seeing is that oftentimes that Maybe someone was the, the, the younger process-oriented person that said, someone told them, hey, why don't you go run Eloqua? And now five, 10 years later, that person is maybe a director of marketing ops with a much bigger job where they have not you know, five technologies or two technologies, but 20 or 30. <clears throat> I'm curious if, you're, if that pattern resonates with you as well. Yeah, no, that uh, definitely is a pattern I've seen. It's it's very interesting that I mean the you know digital capabilities. I think particularly at B two B companies um, too, right? They grew up so siloed. Uh, like yeah, my background, the experience uh, with that web development group, right? There was there was a web development team that would work with marketing and IT, but it was sort of in its own little space. And yeah, I mean the you know managing things like subscriber lists and email marketing, you know, sort of the 
pre-runner to uh, uh, marketing automation formally, um, yeah, that was often something completely other, different group. And then, you know, when the social stuff started up, uh, even though I was a little slow for, you know, B2B introduction, uh, yeah, still that was kind of off in its own little space. And so it was really, yeah, I think, you, you know, these, these past few years where, yes, yeah, there started to be some more maturity. I think you're absolutely right that it's also been the uh, evolution of people who have grown up professionally uh, dealing with these technologies that, uh, yeah, you know, sort of unifying this stuff together under our marketing operations, marketing technology function, um, yeah, has really started to coalesce. And, and you mentioned the idea that you observed very early on this trend of needing to marry the two sides. You know, one thing I'm seeing happening now is this idea of sales and marketing alignment. You know, we've talked about it theoretically in, in various ways, but now that we have all this technology, it seems to me that the operations team is the one that can really create real alignment and, and a single source of truth and a view of the whole customer journey. Whereas in the past we've talked about, okay, maybe sales and marketing is the same executive. I don't think that really came to pass in B2B. It's just a very hard thing to expect. First of all, if they're an executive, they might be 20, 30 years into their career, and maybe they're not a MarTech native. But I'm seeing operations teams being able to deliver more on that promise where they can create a full view of the customer journey. I'm curious if, if you... If you would agree with that, are, are they the answer to this alignment we're looking for is that technologist? I think they're a big piece of it, right? Um, so one of the things that's enabling, you know, I mean, like, uh, I guess uh, the account-based uh, movement or account-based mania, depending on how you want to talk about it. Right? I mean, one <laughs> of the things that's, I mean, in, in theory, right, key account management is, been around in the sales world for like decades, uh, but it, it really was the technology in marketing getting to the level where, okay, we now have tools that can, you know, track these relationships effectively, you know, across accounts, uh, within an account, you know, evolve it, that as that technology started to, uh, yeah, really uh, explode and innovate here over the past few years, that is all of a sudden, yeah, made, you know, account-based marketing. Marketing, a, a, a reality. Um, and the great thing about it is, yeah, at the end of the day, it really is about now starting to marry these marketing capabilities, these digital marketing capabilities, with quite frankly, much more of a sales-oriented uh, mentality and really starting to put oneself in the shoes of, you know, how the sales team actually operates and thinks about. Um, and so, yeah, given that being, uh, you know, supported by these technologies, having, you know, the marketing ops person and or the sales ops person in collaboration with them uh, sorting through this stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think they're the bridge between the two. And what I'm seeing is that, you know, sales ops is more established uh, you could argue that the rise of Salesforce and CRM made them more strategic. And with marketing ops, um, the, the first generation of marketing automation didn't quite have that impact. Marketing ops wasn't quite as strategic. But the opportunity I see is that with, now with the MarTech explosion, all of a sudden the marketing ops person, the marketing technologist has a chance to be really, really strategic because sales ops already has a job. They're already doing their, their thing, whether it's quotas and territories and the stages in the sales cycle. 
you know, sales ops doesn't have time, I don't think, to think about that lead to revenue cycle, which might be much, much longer, many more touches. I mean, in our data set, we see that there's, on average, uh, 20, 30 touches, and, and it's the amount of time marketing spends engaging an account is far longer than, than, so one of my own, to give you an example, one of my own opportunities I looked at in BrightFunnel, I looked at the whole journey, and we engaged, this is a large enterprise account, we engaged with them from a marketing perspective 755 days ago, uh, and the sales cycle <laughs> was uh, 200 and something days before the close. So it was already a long sales cycle, enterprise type of sale, and it was seven, eight months, whatever that was, but marketing had been engaging it far longer. And of course, even I was skeptical, like, okay, what's behind that? But when, when I looked at the data, there's executives involved, they're reading content, they're reading blog posts, uh, they're you know attending events. It's, it's all the things we talk about as marketers in the customer journey, but it was really, um, it was just a reminder to me that it's, it's real and it's real for me uh, and it's real for this specific opportunity that we had won. And, you know, to the original point that you were making, I think in marketing is marketing technologists and ops, I mean, that's their job. I mean, they've got to figure out what are all those touch points. Um, sales ops is like, look, I don't want that mess. So you guys created it with all these data points. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if you, if you agree with that or not, but that's kind of what I'm seeing is that it's sort of their chance to shine uh, or, or fail uh, either way. I, I think you're right. It's certainly today. It's just it's interesting um, that you know the technological revolution that happened in marketing. You know these past five years with the you know like that crazy marketing tech landscape. Just you know just an incredible variety of innovative new you know tools and solutions for marketers. You know, frankly, salespeople were in a bit of a drought for a while where, you know, I mean, after Salesforce automation, you know, I mean, after Salesforce, like, you know, not a lot happened. You know, there was some of the data matching stuff that, you know, got plugged onto that, but still, a, you know, relatively uh, stable uh, and somewhat boring uh, tech landscape. But in these past couple years, you know, there's been this yeah, to me, it's almost been like a parallel explosion, you know, to MarTech, uh, you know, the sort of sales tech. Uh, and I, I see it with a lot of overlap between the two. Um, and so I find myself wondering if sales and sales ops sort of is where marketing and marketing ops was a few years ago. You know, that's sort of this new set of tools and capabilities uh, that they will have to engage, uh, you know, with uh, prospects and clients. Uh, it's going to open up a really exciting next couple of years. I mean, I mean, you mentioned you talked to, uh, you know, Jill. So, like, you know, the social selling movement is one that starts to get really intriguing. It's a very different set of tools and approaches that you start to see salespeople use. And so then what gets really exciting is you think about that innovation happening on the sales side of fence. We still have all this incredible innovation on the marketing side. And if now, yeah, you've got the marketing ops people and yeah, maybe moving forward a little bit more of the sales op people too, collaborating to synchronize these things. Um, I think the state of, yeah, you know, customer relationship development um, uh, has some very bright uh, years ahead of it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I, I wrote a blog post a couple of years ago where I used um, the Dustin Hoffman uh, screen cap from The Graduate 
and you know the joke is you know marketing ops were, were instead of plastics it's marketing ops and that was two years ago <laughs> and, and I think if anyone took my advice two years ago and you were a recent grad I would love to hear from you because I, I think you owe me something uh, maybe, maybe a, um, some cupcakes or something because I, I think still right now if you tell anyone who's slightly process oriented point yourself at MarTech and marketing ops just like you said, you're going to have an amazing career if you're into that sort of thing. Um, and, and I think this idea that you're describing that now sales tech, and I, which I agree with, it's it's sort of now catching up to MarTech. And to me, it doesn't matter. It's all revenue tech. And I think you're going to have to put them under the same roof, right? And I'm seeing this with, for example, uh, Concur is one of our customers, and, and you know they have a VP of sales and marketing tech. Um, even on the on smaller customers, you're seeing titles like business operations or customer operations or revenue operations. And in my view, that is the right way to go. You, you want to look at the journey in one place and, and you know dedupe some of the tools. Potentially, you're, you're, I think you're describing some overlap, which I which I, we, we definitely all see. Um, so yeah, I agree that there's some very bright years ahead, and I and I think you're going to see sales and martech at a minimum collaborate, but, but I think it's going to end up under the same roof. It just makes sense. I, I don't know if you agree with that or not. Yeah. You know, this becomes one of the great things about this space is it's changing so rapidly. Uh, and there's just so much innovation people just trying so many different ways of, uh, you know, solving the puzzle here that, um, I find, uh, with a lot of these questions, there's not a single answer of, at least for me, there's not like, oh, well, it's going to obviously evolve this way. It's like, you know, there's two or three or four different ways that these things might play out. Um, and it's actually fascinating to watch people go through that process and experiment. And who knows, it may actually be something that, yeah, it depends on the particular business. You know, what what works for your organization, what works for the way in which you engage your customers, Um so, yeah, the thing I love about this space, it is not dull. <laughs> it is an incredibly exciting time uh, to, you know, watch companies and people essentially remake marketing and sales and, you know, business uh, with all these new capabilities. Absolutely. And you mentioned the landscape. So let's talk about that. Um, you know, if I if I recall, there was 150 150- <laughs> Technologies. I forget which year it was. I think it was 2013 or... or, or 2011. Okay. <laughs> and so, and you, you have it. Next week is MarTech. We're recording this a week ahead. Um, and, and you haven't announced it, obviously, the new landscape. But, but whatever it is, it's a massive explosion. So what the heck's going on? Do, do we have to, do we have you to blame for this explosion or, or is there some other? <laughs> hey, don't shoot the messenger, man. <laughs> I'm... <laughs> uh, it's, um, yeah, well, I mean, if you're expecting, uh, you know, that next week we will release this landscape and, uh, all those pundits who predicted consolidation, it turns out they're right. There's only going to be 10 logos on the 2017 landscape. And yeah, it's, it's simple. Um, if, if that's what you're uh, expecting, uh, I'm afraid you will be terribly disappointed. Um, you know, it, it, it has grown, uh, and it's grown a lot. Uh, it's grown a lot in a way that, you know, I say this every year, and I, I mean it. It, it, it surprises me, um, you know. And so 
I know we don't have too much time here, but it's like it's very hard to have a simple explanation for this because there are so many different forces at work happening together and you get these really strange interference patterns. I mean, like it is legitimately the case that, you know, I mean, the large MarTech companies, you know, Adobe, Oracle, Salesforce, folks like that, I mean, they are consolidating a lot of capability. They are certainly consolidating a tremendous amount of market share, you know, so you definitely see those anchors, uh, you know, to the space. But then on the other side of the curve, the it's this combination of the the uh, from the supply side, uh, the barriers to entry to creating a great piece of software are just incredibly low today. I mean, people leverage open source and infrastructure as a service and all this stuff, and I mean, you can do some amazing stuff, you know, really quickly. Um, and then on the demand side, you know, marketing and there's you know even sales and revenue and the connection between these things, right? It's it's going through such an innovative period here. People are experimenting with new things. There's new touch points that keep coming up right now. You know, I don't know, pick one, like, you know, the voice uh, interfaces, you know, like, okay, well, what sort of Alexa skill should, you know, your business have, uh, you know, how do you use that as a uh, channel for, you know, uh, relationships uh, with your customers? I mean, all this sort of stuff that, uh, you know, all that innovation provides an incentive, you know, for lots of people to come in. And so, you know, we, we could go through a half a dozen other factors too, but it's like these things combine together to just create an incredibly frothy mix of companies. And, um, you know, the good news is, you know, going back to those major vendors is it does feel like it's not total chaos anymore. Like a couple of years ago, it felt a lot like total chaos. I, I start to feel more and more like, you know, most companies have these core systems of record, you know, for their marketing automation system, for their CRM, for their web experience management system. Uh, and then what they're very often doing is augmenting those with more specialized capabilities. But all those specialized capabilities tend to plug their data back into those core systems of records, at least to a limited degree. Um, and that seems to just keep getting better and better. So I, I'm optimistic, actually, that uh, it's, it's a crazy landscape, but, but the ability to start to, in any one business, make sense on how the pieces you select are orchestrated together is uh, uh, becoming a human-solvable challenge. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and what you're describing is the, the tailwinds that are creating these technologies. I, I think is actually very similar to what I heard uh, last week from, so I, I was at the, I was the guest of Oracle at their Eloqua MME event on the CMO track. And so I was lucky enough to hear from Mark Hurd and got to ask him a question and asked him the exact same question I asked you. Um, I don't think it, it, it was secret, so I'm gonna share it with the audience here. You know, his answer was, I asked him, hey, why are there, you know, Eloqua's trying to create one of those big clouds. Why is there such a mess in MarTech? And he didn't say it was your fault, by the way, so that's the good news. Um, <laughs> he was thinking that. <laughs> he was thinking that. If only that guy hadn't created that landscape, we'd be fine. Um, but, but his answer, uh, in all seriousness, was, was, was the same as yours, which was, is like, look, there's, there's so much waste happening. Um, we're, wasting, we're still wasting so many dollars in marketing. So there's a big payoff uh, that innovation, there's a low barrier to innovation, and if you innovate and someone uses it and it works, there's a huge payoff. So, you know, of course, there's lots of technologies. So when he put it that way, I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. 
and I heard heard much the same from you. Um, but the pushback I'll have on your on your optimism. So first of all, I don't think it's a bad thing we have this technology. I think I agree with both you and Mark that um, you know it's it's driving value. But the challenge I see with the big guys, and you know, th- this is part of my mission at Bright Funnel, which is the, the problem I see is that people have. So I think of us as being the Google Maps or the Waze for B two B marketing, and what mm-hmm. I see marketers have is they have they have the first point of the map. They've got leads. Like, great, I've got leads. Now, how do I get, I see in the distance, you know, this mountain, which is revenues. How do I get there? And they don't have the turn-by-turn directions. And their team members have aspects of the various points in the journey, the web experience, the email, the events, and the trade show. But they don't know how to connect those dots and they don't know the sequences and the relative value, et cetera. And that's what we're trying to do and I mentioned that, that's sort of the commercial part of the segment, but more, more importantly, I mentioned that because t- to me, that's what the big guys haven't been able to solve yet, right? They're, um, and they're all friends and partners, so I'm not b- disparaging them. I'm saying they've assembled a collection of individual tools that's very different from saying they're going to be able to tell you, give you insight about the journey. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense or if, if, if you have the observations on that, on that question. Yeah, no, I think, um, you, I mean, you're absolutely right that, um, this is uh, not just complicated. Uh, the, I think the, the scientific term for it is actually complex, right? You've got all these different individual pieces, and they have all these potential interaction f- effects among them, both on how they actually truly affect customer experience, but then also from an analysis perspective, you know, on the back end of us just looking and trying to piece together, okay, well, what worked and how, and, um, you know, what do we optimize and how, and, um, you know, the there are just so many of these parts, and they're all changing so quickly uh, that the interaction effects um, are right? I mean, just combinatorially insane. Um, and so, I mean, this is, I, again, I think it's why it's a great opportunity for what you're doing because, you know, um, it's not necessarily about having the perfect uh, answer, uh, at least not yet, but, you know, asymptotically, the closer you can get to that, uh, there's a tr- tremendous value and optimization to be gained in that. Um, but it's a, it's a hard problem, right? And you make a really good point that it's, right, it's not just about getting these software technologies integrated in some sort of lightweight, you know, sense of, you know, passing, you know, common identity around, right? That, that, which is actually a good start. If you've got a common identity across all this stuff, that's a really good start, you know. But, yeah, there's so much other nuance happening and, you know, things that are doing in social engagements versus, you know, things we might be doing in, you know, how we manage our content marketing pipeline or stuff like this that, um yeah, I, th- I think we've got a really long path ahead of us of, you know, figuring out more of the science uh, of how this stuff actually works together. So, yeah, and the other, so there's, you, you make a really good point around the science, and, and there's the the art side as well. So we we've talked a bunch about the technology and the ops, and what we're seeing, I think what we're both seeing, larger companies do is. They're solving for that. They're creating technologist jobs, operations jobs. 
and there's analytics questions, which we're just talking about. How do you get that answer? You know, it's a very complex question. But there's another side of it, which is, uh, and I'm seeing this because we're, we're now applying machine learning and AI to this problem. And, you know, we have all this data, as does all the, all the big guys and many other companies, but we have all this data across the map. We're applying data science to it, so machine learning algorithms. It comes up with an answer that we believe mathematically is correct. But I think that's not actually the hard part. The, the hard part is how do you get a marketer to take action on that? And that's what I want to ask you about is sort of the user interface element, the human element. You know, let's say you're uh, uh, even a mid-sized company would say five to 10,000 people, you're going to have hundreds of people in marketing and they're all spending money. They're all making decisions. And if, the marketing operations or analyst team is sitting on answers, it doesn't do anyone any good. The, the, the person in the field, you know, doing events in EMEA or doing digital marketing in North America has to be able to understand it and take action on it. So I'd love to hear you know, any thoughts you have on that. Are, are you seeing that as, as a problem we have to solve? It's not just the technologists, but the rest of the marketing team has to understand the data and take action on it? Yeah, no, no, this is a really fascinating topic because um, it's one of these things that there are some trade-offs here that don't have a perfect answer to them, in my opinion. You know, and to me, part of this is the classic centralization versus decentralization debate. I mean, there's there's never a perfect answer to that. Um, you know, so the, this 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 ability to democratize the ability for the front line of the marketing organization to take action um, is, in, in theory, incredibly powerful. That's one of the way we can keep up with you know, all the different changes, and we can really optimize in all these different little pieces. But yeah, to then allow that to be executed well, uh, you're absolutely right. Those people need to, um, first of all, be able to have access uh, to that data and insights, which sometimes is a technical challenge, but frankly is more often in a lot of organizations a uh, structural, like an organizational uh, challenge. Um, but then it, once they get access, like, you know, how do they learn how to really be able to leverage that uh, in a savvy way? And then just to make things a little bit more complicated, right, it's almost like the more you distribute that action-taking capability, we now go back to that issue of the interaction effects, you know, that if you have three different groups that all in parallel decide to take action, even though they were all basing it on the same historical data, they aren't necessarily aware of the three things that are doing uh, in parallel. Uh, and then by the time you get the results back, you know, it's already sort of run. And so there's going to be weird interaction effects that happen that way versus the alternative, which is, you know, you centralize this stuff and you centralize more and more of the management, uh, which is the reaction to, oh, my goodness, we had crazy interaction effects. Let's, you know, centralize this more. But then that causes the challenge of, okay, that, that becomes a bottleneck for, you know, slowing down just how many things can you do. And, uh, so yeah, this, the, 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 this pendulum between those two things, we, we see it again and again in many contexts, but I think you're absolutely right. As far as leveraging uh, the, the analytical capabilities of modern marketing, it's a, uh, it's a big open question. Yeah. Well, you know, what I'd love to see happen, you know, I think that what you're describing as sort of that interaction effects, you know, th there's the, 
mix, you know, marketing mix element, and especially in, in the B2C world, there, there's big dollars, you know, big channels, and it's more about advertising. In B2B, there are longer journeys, and it's a bit more of an 80-20 game. You've got sales involved in every situation in B2B, and so therefore, it's, it's never going to be a perfect, you don't even control the revenue, you're going through, uh, you know, your sales channel. So what I see in B2B is, is that it, it has to be an 80-20 exercise. You're not trying to get to the absolute best answer, but wouldn't it be great if the field marketer, you know, running an event, you know, next week is the MarTech conference. There's going to be lots of events. Wouldn't it be great for someone to know that, hey, you've got this happy hour you're sponsoring during MarTech. This person entered stage three of your pipeline. You know, click here to invite them, or here's 10 people you should make sure attend the event. Those are the kinds of things I think are going to be really powerful. I think we're going to have to get there because we're going to have to rely on, on AI because there's the, the trend you're describing with the data and the platforms is only going to get worse, and the human capacity to process that isn't going to get any better. And so you're going to have to rely on technology and data science to, to make you a little bit smarter through recommendations and, and even you know automation, uh, true automation. Yep. No, I, I completely agree. And uh, yeah, just um, uh, yeah, even from the uh, you know building up uh, the training uh, and the practice, and yeah, just sort of the experience with uh, individual professionals to be able to operate that way. Um, that's that's a big challenge ahead, and then the organizational structure, you know, to really optimize uh, that way of working is going to be a fun challenge. And uh, yeah, it's, it's funny, you know. So I've been uh, as, as much as I end up getting pegged as the, uh, the the Martech guy, you know, around the technology. Um, it is actually, to me, the least interesting aspect of what's happening here. Uh, you know, I'm much more fascinated by the the human dynamics happening inside organizations. Uh, you know, the development of these new professional capabilities and the way management has to evolve uh, to be able to take full advantage uh, of what these technologies and those people skills can do. So. Um, to me, that is a much harder problem than integration. <laughs> I, I absolutely agree that the change management of generations of people have to understand how to read data, how to you know be on the same page. Even with the best user interface, you still need some data literacy. I think that's a macro economy level problem uh, and opportunity for, for, for the world and, and, and us as a country. And then there's organizational problems about coordinating and, and making decisions together. I, I agree. Those are those are really fascinating things that previously we had excuses to fly blind. Now we can't. We don't really have those excuses because the data is available. So be careful what you wish for. We have all the data and technology. Now you've got to actually do something with it. Is 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 what makes what makes me get up in the morning is to be able to make a small dent in that big big problem. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I, I don't exaggerate. Uh, I genuinely mean that I think marketing is the hardest job out there at this point, just because of, uh, yeah, this challenge with change and, you know, so much happening in parallel and so much learning that needs to be done. Was it was it the slogan for the Peace Corps? Like, you know, the toughest job you ever love, though. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's a great time to be in this field, um, but it is, uh, it is a challenge. And people joke about the, you know, gallows humor about the CMO <clears throat> tenure. I saw one data point, it being 20 months. Let's just go with that for now. 
<laughs> and, and it, you know, and, and what was funny was, and again, not that funny for at least for CMOs. Was, yeah, I guess if you're the CMO, it's not that funny. It's not at all. that funny. <laughs> you know, looking at our data in Brightfunnel for, on average, what is the time it takes from lead to revenue? Um, it's 512 days across, you know, all the <laughs> millions of opportunities which if I'm not mistaken is about 20 months or maybe that's about 18 months. So you've basically got, you know, a month or two to, you know, get your badge and your bearings and, and then you better start generating some, uh, doing some activities. Um, and I mean, that, that rings true. I mean, now I'm no longer a CMO, I'm a CEO. And when we hired Dana as our VP of marketing, you know, I didn't wait 20 months to ask, how are we doing? And say, Hey, what have you done for me lately? And, I think that pressure that marketers feel is is, is real. I mean, there's technology to figure out. There's programs to run. Uh, it's a very heterogeneous job, which is you're alluding to why it's interesting, but it's also why it's hard. Uh, no single person yeah. can do the whole job. No, and I think you know. I mean, the the challenge actually is you know there's this whole. I mean to grossly over uh, stereotype here, uh, right? I mean, there's a set of you know marketing leaders who have you know. A decade, couple decades of experience, but they don't generally understand the technology side of it very well, and so they struggle with that, and that becomes a challenge for them, you know. But then you've also got the other side is, you know, I've seen a lot of these cases where you've had a, you know, a, a new generation of marketing leaders who, you know, are very savvy on a lot of digital capabilities uh, and the technology, but in some ways, you know, because they've had such a rise of success of being the people who understood that stuff, you know, they've got gaps in some of the fundamentals of, uh, you know, the storytelling, you know, really the, the understanding of, you know, market, brand strategy, this sort of stuff. And the truth is, all this technology, all, all these digital capabilities, touch points, customer experiences, in my opinion, this is all additive to what the original requirements of marketing were. And that, that's why, uh, you know, I joke around about it a bit, but I'm very serious. I mean, marketing is an incredibly challenging job because even if you don't know this, all this stuff yourself personally, which very few of us ever could, um, you know, you still then have to be responsible for crafting an organization that collectively uh, is able to have all of these capabilities from, you know, the, the, the organic art side of marketing uh, through to, yeah, I mean, this really, you know, uh, hardcore, you know, technology infrastructure and, uh, you know, data analytics uh, capabilities. It's uh, I'm trying to think what other function in the corporation, you know, has such a wide extreme uh, of that uh, those responsibilities at this point. I don't think there is any other, and and it's it's really evolved in the last five or ten years, and you know, in and for those of you listening, you should definitely go back and listen to some of the earlier podcasts. So the point you're making, Scott, about you know, you mentioned account-based marketing, and you know, some of us that have been around B2B marketing can be a little bit cynical about it because you know it's just marketing but to that newer generation the digital native generation maybe they came up through marketing purely on a you know trial and, and sort of online ads and transactional almost b2c type of marketing and they may have not experienced the multi-channel enterprise b2b marketing so, so it is actually a new concept for them that's a point that john made and I, I took that away from him a point that Ardeth made was about the storytelling. Actually, uh, Howard, who's a CMO of Nutanix, another past podcast, also made that point, which was, look, he's an incredibly data-driven guy. 
but it's ultimately about the storytelling. That's the really hard thing. And that's the unique thing. And in marrying those two is really what, uh, what, makes, what makes marketing special. Hmm. So I agree. So I've taken up uh, a lot of your time. I want to close with, uh, let's talk about books. So you've written a book. Let's, let me ask you that first. Tell, me, tell us about the book that you've written and why you wrote it. Sure. So I uh, wrote a book called Hacking Marketing. Uh, it was released last year. And uh, it actually kind of combines my two loves. It's, uh, as we were talking about here, right? You know, I'm fascinated with these shifts in organizational dynamics and management, marketing management in this new world. Um, and then, you know, my love of the interplay between, you know, the technology world, the software world, and marketing. So the book Hacking Marketing is really about what are management ideas from the software world that are now applicable, that could be adapted to how we run uh, marketing in this very software powered uh, age. Uh, and yeah, I mean, like the, you know, about half the book is actually dedicated to concepts around agile marketing, uh, which has become uh, quite the, quite the thing, uh, finally, which is a really good thing. Um, but yeah, this was all, you know, an evolution of ideas from agile software development that we're now seeing marketing teams take this, you know, iterative and incremental approach, uh, to how they execute because uh, that's, that's the way you work in a digital world where things can and do change so rapidly. Wonderful. So congrats on releasing that book. I can't wait to read it. Um, and what's another book that you'd recommend? You know, you're a very knowledgeable, well-read person. You know, our, our listeners would love to, to hear a recommendation for what we should go out and read. Well, this isn't a marketing book per se, uh, but there's this book uh, uh, the guy uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb wrote called Anti-Fragile. He's a guy who also wrote uh, Fooled by Randomness or The Black Swan, uh, you may have heard of that. Um, and the whole idea of anti-fragile is, you know, we think of things as either being fragile or robust. You know, fragile are things that are harmed by change. Uh, robust are things that can withstand change. And uh, what uh, Taleb uh, really tries to paint is this picture of something that's the true opposite of fragile, what he calls anti-fragile, which are things that grow stronger with change. You know, and there's lots of actually real-world examples for this. I mean, evolution uh, is an example of this. Um, uh, the Internet, the way it's architected, is the way of this. And the reason I would recommend this to marketers is because Man, for almost all of us, right, the biggest challenge we have is just dealing with this incredible volume and pace of change. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to think about how do we make organizations that are robust to that. Um, but I would really challenge listeners to think about how can you create organizations that actually get stronger with change, that turn that change, that churning change uh, into something that is uh, more of an asset uh, than a threat? Wonderful. That's a great note to end on. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, and for folks that uh, are tuning in for the first time, definitely please do check out the previous episodes. And if you're wondering, I mentioned a couple of data points uh, feel free to uh, look for the Bright Funnel benchmark reports. There's a lot of data in there about the trends that some of them that I'm describing. Um, and uh, so, yeah, thank you very much, Scott, and uh, look forward to seeing you next week. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing you at Maritech. Thank you very much for having me. Excellent.